Hello, Stephen Dan Fouts here from Teach Different. We're veteran teachers from the United States, bringing educators together from around the world to learn a simple conversation method, which we model on this podcast for you. If you're a teacher, administrator, homeschooler, or parent who wants to use the power of conversations to build stronger relationships and fight polarization, stay tuned to hear the impact our method can have on your discussions. Then join our community of educators at teachdifferent.com for additional resources and to participate in lively conversations among teachers and faculty, free for 30 days. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Teach Different podcast. We are very excited tonight with uh, a guest who is a state senator in Illinois. So this is our first state senator guest. So we're extra excited about, about that. We have a Herbert Spencer quote uh, tonight on education that's really compelling and will lead to hopefully some really good stories. But before we get into the, the quote and introduce our, our guest, uh, we will talk very briefly about the protocol for those unfamiliar. We're going to start with that provocative quote, this time from Herbert Spencer, and then we're going to work with the claim of the quote. We're going to interpret it, say what it means in our own words, and then if we can provide any kind of personal stories to help back up the meaning of the quote in our lives, great. That's always um, encouraged. And then we'll work through the counterclaim of the quote we'll try to say, all right, what if we had to disagree with this person? What would that statement look like? And so here's where that critical thinking and that tension in the conversation is revealed, because then we have to see the world from a different perspective. And this is what we need to do in our society. We think more and more so we can appreciate each other's ideas and come to compromise over some really you know, controversial issues. And then we'll end with with a question and we encourage everybody you know who is on the podcast to be thinking of of questions in your head as we're going through the conversation and then share those at the end and then we say our goodbyes and we're all good so there's a little intro and without further ado let's get to the quote and i'll say i'll read it twice the great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. Herbert Spencer, the great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. Senator Laura Murphy, welcome to this podcast. Great to have you here. And you feel free to share your background and weigh in on the quote. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Dan and Steve, for having me on tonight. Um, I'm a state senator in the 28th district, which includes parts of Desplaines, Little of Park Ridge, Elk Grove, Schaumburg, Roselle, Hanover, uh, most Northwest suburban communities. And, and I, I hope I can share with you that um, I first met Dan almost um, 20 years ago, or it was at least 20 years ago, when um, he let me come to one of his classes. I think it was an AP class. And I talked about why I was running for office um, that long ago. And I had just a wonderful experience of meeting his students. And some of his students then helped me out on a, a civics project. And although we weren't successful on that campaign, circle the back then 20 years later, and here I am 
Um, and I'm just thrilled to be here with you. And that was what, was that 51 to 49%? It was so close, (laughs) wasn't it? It wasn't quite that close. Okay. Because the area wasn't um, how it is today. Ah. Um, And it certainly has shifted a lot. Um, But, you know, from the effort that we put in, it it was a victory. Um, and, And all the help that the students gave me from your classes, I think we certainly can claim victory in that. But I think that this is such a perfect quote for um, our discussion, because the reason that I got into public service, um, and then that spawned me then to run for alderman in Des Plaines. And then I was uh, the alderman in Des Plaines for the third ward, um, which for those listening in no Des Plaines goes right down the middle of the street at Oakton, doesn't include Maine West but it goes right down the middle of the street. And then that got me involved in that public service. And, and I think because, you know, I grew up in an environment in my home that my parents always said that, you know, um, actions speak louder than words. And, and that was one of the things they said that you have to, um, you can't just say that you know something. You can't just believe that you know something. You have to prove it. And no matter what activity you engaged in, then you needed to prove that you knew what you were doing, whether it be, you know, taking a test, whether it be um, breaking the leash, anything, you know, you can talk about doing something, but it doesn't really matter till you put that into action. And so I, I think that that's what I've really enjoyed about public service is it really does give me an opportunity to put problems, solutions into action. And and part of my goal is to help people understand that government really can work for them, that it is really just a matter of people enacting um, policies that help provide a better opportunity and a better life and enhance their lives um, with policy and legislation. And, And I think that's what we do every day in the General Assembly is to try and enact policy that's going to make someone's life better. So I could tell you story after story of bills that I've passed that indeed do that. Um, if you'd like, what, what I typically do, and I um, consider myself a le- people always say, what kind of legislator you are? What are you specializing in? And I tend to specialize in solving constituent problems. I don't carry a lot of bills that are brought to me by lobbyist or a special interest group. I carry bills that are brought to me because a constituent walks into my office and says, hey, this is a problem in my life. And then we work to solve it. You're in a responsibility, a position where you have to take action to, you know, keep knowing what your meaning is. It's almost like a, a remembering of, well, why am I here? I'm here because We need to do things for people, for our constituents, you know, right wrongs, um, uh, advocate for people. And if there were no action and we were just talking about, you know, knowledge in general or just discussing ideas, making people feel good that they're being listened to, that's not enough. And I don't mean to associate education with just talking and listening and, and things like that, but you're, you're in a, a job that's action-oriented. 
And, and that's a really important point because not everyone feels that they're listened to. And, and it is more than just listening. It is now I've told you, I want you to do something to solve the problem. Because, you know, again, people just talk, talk. And I think that's where we start to lose people's confidence in their government. And, and I think that we are coming to a really bad place if people don't trust, don't have confidence that government is going to be able to do something to better their lives. And, and that's really, you know, we, we live in the best type of government that's pop possible throughout the world. Democracy, it, although it has its flaws and problems, and it definitely is not perfect, and we have to work on it, but it is the best system out there that does provide action to provide and enhance people's lives and try to provide a level of equity and equality for everybody that everybody has a path to be successful. Amen with that. Dan, what do you think? I mean, why don't you say the quote again and, and give us your take? Yeah, the great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. And it's, it's doing things. You, you have to get things done. It's not just about knowing things. It's about doing them. I mean, voting is often brought up as, as something very specific that is important to do and not just talk about but it's beyond voting you know i just actually just today i got contacted by the mayor of desplaines a former student of mine um who who told me about a a um a meeting in glenview at 5 p.m tomorrow on on gun violence and there's a federal rep and a state rep who's going to be there talking with constituents so that's action too. It's, it's going to a meeting, it's meeting people, it's getting engaged and feeling like your government is responding and listening. And back to what you said, Laura, listening to you. Um, because how do you do your work? How do you put things into action if you don't know the constituents care enough to be there and tell you what to do? That is so true. And we know, um, from local level, particularly, because people tend to get more engaged there, that it's often a very vocal minority that likes to have their opinion heard. Those that think everything is okay and the status quo is okay, they, they often don't say that. They, they wait until somebody does something really outrageous, and then we tend to say, okay, no, that went too far. But we could have stopped it from going that far if we would have got involved. And, and even, you know, it's coming up on campaign season and people's doorbells are going to be rung. We're even to the point of saying, could you just open the door? Could you just open the door and meet the person at your door that wants to represent you? Because, yeah, they'll go out and vote. Um, and you're right. And I think, too, voting is a great start, but it's really not enough. Meet that candidate, know what they stand for, find out what they believe, because those are the people that you're going to entrust your livelihood, the decisions for you, your family, your education, your retirement, your home, all those things are um, really the responsibility and the burden of that gets placed on your elected officials. And I think you should at least know who they are before you give them all that power in your life. Well said. 
<laughs> well said. Read the quote again, Dan. I'm, I'm, I mean, we're, we're doing well, I think, with the claim here. The great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. Okay, and, Spencer. It, and, and this is saying the aim of education. So, I mean, what's education? Education is K through 12. Education, if you go into higher education, lots of books, lots of classes, lots of money that you have to spend to, to be in education. And he's basically saying that, you know, if you go through all that, and all you do is think, and you don't take action, then you're not, you're not being true to the ultimate purpose of this education. I mean, education, in a way, can we say that he's saying it's a means to an end? You know, we can learn things, but if we don't put it into action, the, the, the value of what we know is reduced. I'm just trying to trying to, to really get at this. I mean, I, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a way to say it, that it's, that the purpose of it is to do something with it. It's not just something static. So I, I would agree. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think too, we talked about education and, and there's no stop point on education, right? We can learn, we can be educated for our entire lives, whether or not it's in a traditional school setting and you go on to college, whether it's in a trade environment where you learn how to become and you develop apprenticeship in an area that you're interested in, whether you go into another training program where you're just go right into the workforce and you're continually learning on the job. It's just education. To me, too, this says that education should never stop. Because that action should never stop. We need to continue that well forever, uh, and and never never close our minds to not learning something new. Well said. I, I like that as a consequence of, of the quote as well. There's no end to it, uh, so it's not fair to say that he's saying that you should be educated and then go and do do the things you need to do. And that's what made education worth it. They actually go back and forth. It's a process. So Dan, read it again. And we'll flip the script on this, Laura. I'll, I'll show you, you know, how this counterclaim just kind of comes out of nowhere. I'll, we'll see if I'll give the first stab or if you want to, but read the quote again, Dan, and let's Let's see if we can find another way to think about it. The, the great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. Okay. Here's where in class, Laura, there's a chorus of agreement. All the kids are, oh, yeah, I agree. We're, we, we're all so smart. You know, we know exactly what, and then we have to stop ourselves in our tracks and think about the world from a different perspective. Uh, who wants to start? <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> I, you know, Laura, I, it doesn't matter, but I'm, my first thought is this. Sometimes when you know something like really well, and you spent a long time um, living in it, and it could be in your head, 
right? But but you 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 learned it and you you educated yourself and you got all the sides and maybe you you spent six months and didn't do much action, you know, didn't talk to too many people, but you just immersed yourself in something. I think that sometimes knowledge can actually motivate you more. Um, and, and, and again, maybe, it, so, so let me stop. So I would say that a counterclaim to this would be that, that knowing something is a catalyst to action, knowing something very well. And we shouldn't put pressure on ourselves to always feel as if we have to act, 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 act. Sometimes we need to reflect and get to know ourselves so deeply so that when we do act, we have a name, we have a purpose that we thought through. There's my attempt. And, and then I think I, I agree. And then to me, it kind of says too, that if you don't do that for the greater good, then you are denying people, you know, that you don't share. It's not all about keeping it all for me because you only get half the reward if you don't impart that onto other people. Um, and and kind of, you know, it's hard to find the counterclaim on this one because you think, and, and that again is when you're only surrounded with like-minded people, you only think that same way, right? So, but some of these things are kind of, I give you all the credit in the world because some of these are kind of hard to find the counter of what you would say. They, well, I, but I, you know, I do agree. We have to have that discussion because kids particularly have to learn how we can discuss things and disagree without being disagreeable. You know, we, we can, I think that different ideas really help contribute to a better end product. Um, but we have to be able to do that in a fashion that's not insulting or condescending or demeaning to somebody. And I'm sure you must struggle with that every day in a classroom, particularly, you know, when you're teaching kids, you know, their level of confidence is not um, is not fully developed yet. So for me, when I have a colleague that disagrees, I, I like, well, that's your opinion and we can go on. We can take parts of it. But we know that we all feel comfortable sharing our opinions. And I don't think you always see that in a school environment or in a classroom environment because some kids are always afraid to say what they really think. And that group, and that group dynamic takes over and then you're not really sure. And so someone might have some really great input, but they're not ready to share it yet. You're right. And, and this protocol, Laura, is what breaks what you just described. It breaks that pattern because the kids get used to seeing different ways of looking at things, all of which can have good defenses to it with good evidence. So that is what brings up the confidence of kids to disagree because they're used to disagreeing because they practice these conversations. Um, so you're right, you're, you're right on it. I, I, I just wanna, I want to take a stab at a counterclaim. I think it's similar to yours, Steve. It's the idea that you have to know and be passionate about something in your heart. 
in order for the action you take to have meaning. If, if you don't know, um, you know, if, if you're uh, uh, supporting some sort of cause, let's say, and you've done no background knowledge, no, no background research on the cause, you've just heard that it's kind of important, your friends are doing it, you're not really personally or emotionally invested in it, and you have no knowledge about it, but then you act on it. I think it does have value that you're acting on it, but there's something missing if you don't have the knowledge, if you don't have the the mental commitment to it first. So I don't know if that's completely disagreeing with it, but it's it's adding a higher value to knowing things while you act. And maybe something you could ask the kids on this one. I'm thinking this is Laura, this is another thing to do in these conversations, right? You want to think of prompts where you're getting the kids to really go down deep and think about their experiences to, to help flush out the claim and the counterclaim. So what if you ask the kids something like, have you ever been cautious to act because you were afraid you didn't know enough? See what they have to say about that. You know, you're, I, I, I think that that would, I don't know what they would say. If, if you guys have an opinion, great. But I feel like they would have something to say about that where, and, and some kids are just, they're cautious. They don't want to take risks. They feel like they need to know something before they act. So raising that consciousness. Yeah. I would imagine you see that in students at all levels. Those that are the higher achievers are afraid yes. that they don't have all the answers all the way down to those that feel like I don't have the knowledge, so I shouldn't. But that, I think, would cross the spectrum of all your kids that uh, we would see. And, and, and making them think about this, you know, I, I, if we lack one thing, and I think something that is almost impossible to legislate is to teach critical thinking but you just have to do the steps like this that, you know, cause you can't say you have to think because what think is so abstract, right? Um, and, and how would you pass a bill that says, we require you to think and learn how to solve problems. And, and that, that's so subjective that you never know what might come out of it. Yeah, so I, I commend you guys for developing this program that um, is going to teach it because I think that that is the key to society is that when people, when you can be a critical thinker, that's when you start to think, is this right? Is this wrong? And I think that's the basis of uh, society's success is for people to determine what's right and what's wrong and then act appropriately. Right. right. And it takes that, that trust and that faith and that space we give each other to have diverse opinions, agree to disagree, but don't, don't just leave the table when somebody yeah. is disagreeing. Just listen. It's not going to hurt anybody, you know, and then maybe you'll learn a little something. You can add something onto your position. That's the whole, that's what critical thinking is, but it just seems like it's getting harder and harder, right, to, to do it. And, 
Uh, but you have to be intentional, Laura, right? Like you have to, you have to be intentional. Right? Like protocols like this make it intentional. You have to create habits of this kind of thinking so that it's not hard for kids to do it when they leave you. And they're used to being, having other people share different ideas, not seeing it as a threat, but an opportunity to question their own beliefs and improve them. I mean, yeah. So tell me, cause you're, you're in the environment and we're just like making the regulations. Are we providing ample opportunity in a school day for people to have this type of interaction for students to have that interaction? And then if we're not, we really need to fix it. Uh, Dan, you have to answer it first because I'm out of the classroom now, Laura, I've been, a teacher in the Chicago, in the city of Chicago, most of my career. I left in 2019 to do work with Teach Different. And I, I just about gave my opinion, but I'm letting my brother give it first. What do you think, Dan? Well, in a school day, it really depends, in a high school environment, which is what I'm in, it really depends on the, the, um, the teacher. If if the teacher weaves in critical thinking exercises to his or her lesson, then critical thinking is done every day. And, but it's, it's, it's sort of up to the preferences of the educator in front of the room. And, you know, there's, I think, you know, some subjects perhaps it's easier to fit in critical thinking. I mean, math is critical thinking in, in many yeah. ways. I don't know how you can take a math class and not think in a very intensive way. Social studies is a great forum for that. I mean, my department at, at Maine West is, we, we all do this kind of thinking and we all promote it, but it really depends on the community. That 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 some communities maybe don't don't see it as as having as much value, but it, so I, I would say it depends. And Laura, I would say that uh, I don't know if you're familiar with these terms, but in Chicago we had we had a class called advisory period, which is kind of I was in a high school. It's kind of like homeroom. Yeah, where it's not there's not a curriculum. It's not a subject. But the idea was, let's provide a time in the day when, you know, we can do this. We can talk about things that are a little bit beyond the subject matter. That's an opportunity for something like this. Um, there's also restorative practices. Um, if you've heard of, of, you know, if you're familiar with that, which is, you know, essentially a way to deal with conflict. In, in the building. And uh, uh, we, we did peace circles in my schools. Um, I was on the West side and those are very effective, um, I don't know, contexts to allow people to express their different viewpoints and get some of these experiences that we're getting right now where you're coming at different angles on things and you're not so focused on your curriculum. But I'll end with this. I think that the struggle that teachers have in the system, and this, this is going to be, Dan, you correct me, because we were in very different worlds. 
But the struggle is that there are so many expectations and placed on teachers and schools and, you know, making sure that the data is getting better, that the students are doing better on standardized tests. The teachers have so many things that they're expected to do. What ends up getting lost are, are these kind of more authentic, I would say, experiences, the less scripted ones where people can be themselves and they can, you know, make mistakes and, and give their true opinion and, and have a real discussion about something that, that they're not graded on maybe per se. So I think it, it gets kind of lost in the other 50 things that they need to do. There just I would, isn't I that would add to that, that one of the reasons why this thinking is, is so difficult, seeing both sides and multiple perspectives, is because many of the issues that are brought up, especially in social studies, are very, very controversial. So I think there's a hesitancy on the part of educators to start these kinds of conversations with the fear that they're going to blow up into something that they're not going to be able to manage, which is precisely why we have to have more of these so it's easier to, to, to deal with them. Because if, if the kids are not talking about, if they're not thinking this way in our classes, they might not be getting it at home. And they're probably not getting it on social media. So who's going to be the, the role models for them as they move out of our midst <laughs> onto college and, and beyond? So this is the next generation. You know, yeah. they're looking at the adults now, and they, we don't always have good role models for this type of thinking, right? And I don't know, that, that's, that's what concerns me. If they don't get it at school, some will not get this. They will not have opportunities to have a very trusting, caring environment where they can be themselves and express themselves, you know, with, with impunity, you know, and, and really yeah. learn something with people. Well, and, and look at where we're at with, um, and, and I, I appreciate, Steve, your comments on um, expectations because we are at a place where we know we are losing a number of teachers. Look at, look at you and look at, um, I think Dan might, um, you know, eventually have a retirement plan in mind, but we're not getting good people to come in to the education arena to begin with. They're not being encouraged to um, use that as a career. For those that um, we can't get them to stay, I, I've heard all kinds of horror stories of people saying was in the classroom for a year and I'm done, not going back. I'm not doing. So we have a lot of work to do because it, it is the next generation that's at stake. And it is way too important and valuable for us not to fix this problem. And um, I, I mean, I, I think that we're at a point in the next two years, if we don't do something about our teacher shortages, we're going to see a huge problem and we can't, we, we know from the past that learning environments are not, it's not a conducive environment to have 
40, 60 kids in a classroom, right? We were there, we've gone back. Now we seem to, I mean, there's going to have to be better answers. Remote learning, I think we can all agree, was not the optimal uh, place. Not every kid does well in a remote learning environment. And, and certainly I think the social skills suffer in that interaction and discussion. And, and then we look at people that become isolated and, and that doesn't solve any problems and creates huge problems for society when we have kids that are suffering from that. So it, it, it's such a huge dilemma that, um, but we, we need teachers at the table, I think, to help resolve the problem. I don't think that legislators can do it alone. I don't think teachers, I think that we have to have everybody together at a table to, to work through these things to help try and find real solutions. And, and I think we have to start doing that quickly. Um, we've tried to enact legislation since I've been in the GA to put in legislation that creates an objective formula for funding schools so that we have equity and parity and that schools in the northern part of the district and maybe more wealthier areas are going to have um, in the same amount of money as those or those in the southern part are going to have an equitable based funding formula, which I think is the bottom line. And but it's the start, certainly not the ceiling of where we need to go. And, and um, you know, I think that uh, we need more than just government employees making those decisions. You know, we need real life experienced people also helping to participate in that decision making. Sign me up. <laughs> I, I would like to. I will. <laughs> it's so great to hear that. And that it, you're, it, that's such a reminder that you can't do your job alone. I mean, neither can I, and we should be building more partnerships, you know, like this because these problems have to be solved together with a lot of different groups. Um, so, so true. true. Um, well, essential question. Yeah, I was the first one that popped into my head is this is where we get to the questions, okay. uh, Laura, that we don't have to answer. We just kind of think about, you know, what is the purpose of education? Is what this quote begs for me. Yeah. The great aim at education is not knowledge, but action makes me think of, well, what is the purpose is the reflective one. Do you, and anybody else think of one? I was going to say to Laura, you know, the, the essential question, if it's done well, it, I think that, that it doesn't matter if you agree more with the claim or the counterclaim, you've got your space to answer it. That's the whole purpose of the question, right? Can't be leading but I, I like your question, Dan. I mean, it, it's simple, but I don't know. Anything else, Laura? Um, I, I think you guys haven't covered. I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes we, we always say, Laura, to teachers, we say, when you have your conversations with these quotes, have a, an essential question in your, in your back pocket, okay? One that you've really spent some time with so that you can end the conversation with kind of a reflection, you know, take the last five minutes and answer this question, kids. But then if the kids have won themselves, uh, you want to fish that out. Those are the best. Those are the ones that are going to keep the conversation going. And you'll look at your question and say, God, mine was boring. 
compared to that one. <laughs> but you want to have one ready. <clears throat> yeah, that's when you, yeah. Well, I'm sure they have some really fabulous questions. And then they probably have answers. And answers that aren't so far out of the realm of what we can do. Because often, it, it, you know, we forget that we need to keep it simple. And that every question doesn't have to have this huge, or every problem doesn't have to have this huge expanded solution. That we, we can simply answer and do things. And then that's where that action comes in and get them done doesn't have yes. to be a huge elaborate um, process, which, you know, when regulation comes in, it tends to, the more you put on, the more you put on, and then it gets bigger and bigger away from what you were attending to accomplish in the first place. Yes. Well, fantastic. We really appreciate you coming on to the, the Teach Different podcast, Laura. You were a great guest. This was the right quote, I think, for for you with your background and, and the spirit of how you've grown up in your family and your commitment to public service. Uh, we're, we're really lucky to have you as our state senator for our high school. It's, it's been it's been great. Well, thank you. It's really been my pleasure. And and I think that we are blessed because we have teachers that care, teachers that are not going to accept, you know, substandard. And, and, and I really found when um, at a short point in my career, when I was doing more social work services, I knew if I set a high bar, kids would meet it. They will meet whatever expectation, frankly, you set. But I think all too often we don't have expectations of success and we definitely need them. And then I know that you are setting this expectation because this increases your students' potential for success. And, and are you seeing that kind of success? Yes. I'm specifically using this, this protocol or just in general. Yes. I, I, the more you use things, the more routines you put into your instruction, the kids will rise and meet the challenge and they'll get better and better and better at it. You have to be passionate about it as a teacher and be consistent and believe in them. And, and Laura, I really appreciate that question, you know, because when I was when I was in Chicago, when I first we first started playing around with this protocol, this this protocol saved me in one of my classes, you know, and what my big realization in that class where I, there was about 30 kids, it was a big class. And there were quite a few that that were um, that had IEPs, if you're familiar with the individual education plans. Right. So they, they had the challenges. But when you put an, a deep thought-provoking quote in front of these kids, there is nothing stopping them. They have so much to say, you know, but they ne they're never asked, you know, so don't overwhelm them with books and articles every day. Just put a thought-provoking quote and give them a chance to express themselves and, and share ideas. And it's just magical. I mean, it, it just, it, it turned things around for me uh, in one class in particular. I got a great story for it. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for that question. I really appreciate it because that reminds you of why you're here and why you're doing this. 
Well, again, thank you so much, Laura. We really appreciate this and and uh, we're looking forward to, to publishing this and sharing it with, with the world. Well, great. <laughs> Thanks so much, pleasure. yeah. Well, I thank you both for the passion that you bring to educating our kids. And, and there is nothing more important, I think, in um, this world than our next generation and ensuring they're prepared. With action. Yep, with action. <laughs> Take care, great. great, Thank you. thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, everybody. We hope you're walking away feeling energized by some great ideas and have a sense of confidence that you too can master the art and science of conversations to make a lasting impact. We at Teach Different are dedicated to supporting you along that journey. Please visit teachdifferent.com to join the community of educators for additional resources and engaging discussion among fellow teachers and administrators free for 30 days. We'll see you there and next time on the Teach Different Podcast. Take care. Amen with that. Dan, what do you think? I mean, why don't you say the quote again and, and give us your take?